The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. In most homes, I've come to the conclusion from personal experience of being a part of a home as a child as well as the personal experience of being a part of a home as a parent, as well as a lot of observation. I have come to the determination, and it's nothing mind-blowing here, that in our homes, your homes, wherever it might be, you can get away with some things, all right? Some things you can do, and, and Dave or she, mom won't say, wait till dad gets home, all right? Uh, there are just some things you can get away with in some homes, and that level will be different depending upon the home. Um, some, some parents are more strict than others, for sure, but I can tell you something. Listen very closely. There is one line, we're going to be talking about lines quite a bit today, actually, but there is one line that you do not cross. You don't ever cross it in most any home. And what that line is, is this, saying something disrespectful to mom. Okay? I don't know how many stories I've heard about beatings that have taken place after mom being sassed, all right? And I'm not going to say by a raise of hands how many of you have received those. I didn't say you have to raise your hand, Blair, okay? (laughs) How many have received one of those beatings? There are just some things you don't say. And it goes beyond childhood. If you really want to rile up a guy or a gal, start talking about, start talking about how, start talking ugly about their mom. Okay? And it won't take long, and it's going to get ugly for you. Okay? Um, There's one certain phrase, George Wenshin, right? There's one certain phrase that there's no way in whatsoever I'm going to say in this setting, but there's one certain phrase that nobody should ever say to your big brother, right? I've heard some stories about that too. Because you don't say that about mom. According to scripture, it appears, it appears that it isn't only mom that we should be careful about whom we speak. Okay, I'm going to define a word for you right now. And and I I want you to remember it. Put a mental note there because we will come back to it, okay? The word is this, blaspheme, blaspheme. And this is, this is how blaspheme in the Oxford Dictionary is defined. To speak irreverently about God or sacred things. You got that? To speak irreverently about God or sacred things. Now, if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to tell you where we are at. It's the first book of our New Testament, the first of four narratives written about the life of Jesus Christ. And and as we look at this, we're going to look at at a passage that's not only recorded by Matthew, but that's the one we're going to focus on the most here, all right? Now, when we read this, we got to understand where Jesus is at in his life in his lifespan here on earth. He's in the middle of his ministry. It's been going for a little over a year now, and 
you might know that, that his ministry lasted three years. Now, he lived here 33 years, but his last three years were the time of public ministry. Okay, Jesus is in, kind of in his old stomping grounds, the region of Galilee. This is the, the area, for, for lack of a better term, that would be known in that society, the Judean society, as the rednecks. Okay, this is kind of that upper side of, of, of the tracks. This isn't Judea. This isn't Jerusalem and around there. This is all ah, those hicks, you know, out there in Galilee. Okay, um, and this is where Jesus spent a, a huge amount of ministry, which I kind of like that, actually. But um, Jesus and his disciples at this state in his ministry are constantly being bombarded. All right, And when you look at the Gospel of Mark the very next book in your New Testament, you will see that when Mark talks about this event, it tells us that Jesus is in a house in a small town in Galilee when this encounter we're going to look at takes place. Right? So I hope that sets this all up for you. Maybe we'll help you a little bit more is, is Mark Moore. Um, I'm just going to a, a quote from his, his book, The Chronological Life of Christ, and maybe for it to set very firmly in our minds what Jesus and his closest followers are dealing with right now, okay? This is what he says. Jesus' ministry is at a critical and frenzied stage. He's trying to get the 12 disciples to see who he really is. At the same time, he's mobbed by crowds who want to touch him for healing. He's also being interrogated by the Pharisees from Jerusalem who want to do him in. His family gets wind of all of this, and here they come too. They want to nab him for his own health and safety and whisk him from all the commotion. He is so popular that he and his disciples don't even have time to eat. All right? I mean, things are crazy. All right, now let's jump into it. Matthew chapter 12. You look it up on your phone or in your hard copy Bible. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 22, and we're going to read the whole passage that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 12, 22, and this is what it says. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Now, your Bible might not say Beelzebul, it might say Beelzebub, okay? We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Verse 25, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself, then how will his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, 
But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The Pharisees have shown up. And they find themselves very quickly by their own doing in a classic pickle jar, all right? They are in a mess observing Jesus. They better get used to it because they will find themselves there again and again. And the Pharisees aren't just staying there in Galilee. They came, the Gospel of Mark tells us they came all the way from Jerusalem to be there so that they might trap Jesus and as Mark Morris said for us, try to get him, try to get him done, do him in, kill him, destroy him. That is their ultimate goal. So they come all the way from Jerusalem to see what Jesus is doing firsthand. And verse 23, it says the Pharisees see what people are saying about Jesus. Jesus has just cast out this demon, a little bit more about that here in just a second. But the people are watching this and they say, is this, is this? This is the son of David? And I know what you might be thinking. This is, the son of, this is the son of God. Of course, most of the people wouldn't be thinking that in those crowds. In their minds, this is the son of the carpenter, the builder, Joseph. So why are you thinking son of David? Well, son of David is talking about King David from ages ago. And it was prophesied that a Messiah would come from the line of David and save his people. So by asking this question, they are saying, can this guy be the Messiah? The Pharisees watch all of this, and they don't like questions like that. They don't like the crowd saying, can this guy be the Messiah? But this is the problem. The Pharisees, they can't argue with what everyone, including themselves, just saw. We're talking about a demon That caused a man not only to be blind, but not talk either. And Jesus just manhandled this powerful demon. So what are they going to do? They're in a pickle. Here's their plan. Beelzebub. That's their plan. Let me tell you a little bit of history here, okay? Beelzebub, Beelzebub. Let me pronounce it a little bit differently for you in an Old Testament sense. See, it kind of changed a little bit over time. Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal-zebul. Now, if you have studied much Old Testament history, you know that Israel would fall into serving the Baals at times, false gods. And Beelzebul was one of the main ones. He was a Canaanite god whose name means Lord of the temple, Lord of the house. But the Jews changed the name, mocking the name to Beelzebub, which means Lord of flies. (laughs) It's kind of fun, I think. Anyway. So what the Pharisees are saying here is this. Okay, this Jesus guy... He he can't be the Messiah. We cannot, there's no way. There's there's no way. And now the people are beginning to think that he is the Messiah. What are we going to do about this? There's this great miracle that has just been done. He's obviously powerful. He just 
He just trounced this powerful demon. What are we going to do? And he said, they say, well, the only way you cast out that demon was by the power of demons. When they say Beelzebub, Beelzebub, who they're technically referring to is, is Satan. They're saying, he cast out Satan by the power of Satan. Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, knowing what they're whispering, turns to them and says, you guys are stupid, all right? Now, he doesn't say that out and out, but his argument says it. Jesus says this, first of all, Satan isn't stupid. Satan doesn't fight against Satan. If Satan fights against Satan, then his kingdom will not stand. And Satan is a lot of things, but he's not stupid. Number two... Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the power of Satan, then what do you guys cast them out by? You see, the Pharisees and their scribes, they they had their exorcists. So so if if Satan's given me the power, how are you you guys doing it? No, those guys, your exorcists will judge you for even saying this. So Jesus says, your argument is ridiculous. And then he gives question number three. He says, the last alternative is this. What if I cast out demons by the power of the Spirit of God? What does that mean for you then? And then Jesus commences to drawing a line in the dirt. Um, why don't you turn over to the parallel passage to this. Um, Luke, Mark and Luke also talk about this encounter. Turn over to Luke chapter 11. It'll be two books over, just a few pages over in your Bibles. Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. I like this because it just gives us a little more input on Jesus talking about this strong man part of his argument. Okay? Luke eleven twenty one and 22 says this. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. Jesus is going to draw a line in, in the dirt. And, and when you draw a line in the sand or the dirt, there are two purposes for doing that, typically. Actually, there's three purposes. Did you know that you could put a chicken's head down on the ground like this? This is for you, hon. All right, it's Mother's Day. Okay, you can put a chicken's head down on the ground. You take your finger, and you can draw a line from its, its eyes straight out, and it'll put it to sleep. Did you know that? I am not lying to you. It is the absolute truth. And the only time I've ever come close to getting a whooping by one of my aunts. Now, I got whoopings by my mom, okay? But the only time I came close to getting a whooping by Aunt Barb is when Steve and I put every one of her chickens to sleep in the chicken yard. I'm talking 50 of them, all right? And she came out and thought we killed all those suckers. And she came out, eyes ablaze. They were like, wake up! Wake up! They're not dead! All right. Man, Aunt Barb was scary that day, all right? So there are more purposes to drawing lines in the sand or the dirt, I admit. All right, 
But the two that we're going to focus on today is this. You draw a line in the sand, you draw a line in the dirt, and you say this. Cross that line, see what happens. Any of you ever done that one before? You cross that line, see what happens. It's a challenge. See if you got it in you. Well, the other purpose is this. It's sort of a challenge as well, but the line is drawn and it says, this is my side. That's the other side. Which side are you going to be on? You notice the line I just drew right there. It is not big enough to stand on. There is no in between the sides. It's my side or it's that side. And what Jesus is saying, it's my side or it's Satan's side. Which side are you going to get on? Jesus is plainly saying here, hey, I didn't bring up Satan. You guys did. Okay? I just kicked Satan's tail. I don't know if you noticed that. All right? You're going to either be on my side or his side. There's no other choices here. Since you brought him up, are you going to get on my side or are you going to be on Satan's side? Now, i got to tell you something about Satan, folks. Jesus speaking, he cowers before me. Jesus lays out the challenge, and following laying out the challenge, he lays out exactly what is at stake in this argument. Turn back to Matthew chapter 12. Last couple of verses of what we read earlier. These verses have made people for a long time ponder exactly what is being said. We're going to try to clarify that today. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And by spirit, look in your Bibles, capital S. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. All right, folks, we looked at blaspheme, blasphemy, all right, earlier. What what was blaspheme? It was an act, it's a verb, it was this, to speak irreverently. And where the minds of people might go sometimes is this, have I said something about the Spirit of God that I can never take back? Now let's look at this just for a second. Let's dig into this. Jesus preceding that statement says this, you can say, if something said against me, when he's talking about the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. There can be things said against me, they will, they will and can be forgiven. You got to remember something here. Jesus, guys, we've got 2020 hindsight to the whole gospel story, all right? The people Jesus were talking to are in the midst of it. And here is this guy claiming to be God's immediate representation in this world. Some of the things Jesus has said are out there. He says, he is my father. I am about his work. Jesus is putting himself at a next level above any other rabbi or teacher who ever lived. 
He's speaking to crowds here who are seeing him firsthand. And these are pretty radical claims that Jesus is making. And misunderstanding and skepticism is a little bit understandable. After all, what would we say to somebody coming to us and saying, I'm God's son. He sent me into this world to save you. Come again? What? What? Even those closest to Jesus never got exactly what he was doing here until after the cross. All right, so understand that. So that's the crowd Jesus is speaking to, but within that big crowd he's speaking to, he's speaking to a portion of it specifically, the Pharisees. The Pharisees who had just witnessed a miracle. All right? You got a guy who can't talk. You got a guy who cannot see. And he's been this way for a long time. And Jesus has just freed him from that. And kicked this demon into Timbuktu. And the people are excited. They're happy. They're joyful. They're wondering, like, what can this mean? And then you got the Pharisees. They just witnessed the same miracle. No joy, no wonder, no fear, no respect for the power that has just been demonstrated. Their only response is scheming to maintain their own personal power. Jesus told other Pharisees, you can read about it in John chapter 10. Jesus told other Pharisees in another encounter this. He said, if you don't believe the words I say, believe in the works. Believe in the miracles. But the Pharisees wouldn't. Now, not all of them. But a lot of them, they wouldn't believe. They watched it firsthand. And explained it away in their own closed minds. And this was a huge problem. And all it amounted to was the condition of their hearts. Here, okay, just to, let's think about this just for a moment, okay? Let's say I pick a handful of you, all right? And we walk out into the park, and it looks like the sun is shining right now. Okay, so this will work. We go out here to the park right behind the church. And it is your job to convince me that heat comes from the sun. That's your job. Because what I believe is, is heat comes from rocks. Hey, it's just what I believe. Don't be looking, don't be judging me. It's what my mom and my dad taught me. Heat comes from rocks. Why else did people put rocks in their beds in the old times to keep them warm in the middle of the night? Duh. See, you're the ones who know nothing. I know a lot. All right, so it's your job to take me out into the park and convince me that the sun is what produces heat. And one of the first things you do is say, okay, Jamie, let's walk into the shade. Okay, what's it feel like? It feels nice. Let's walk into the sun. What's it feel like? Does it feel warm? Yeah, it feels warm. Okay, you're in the sun. No, we're not, you dummy. We're standing on the gravel. In the shade, we're standing on the grass. Heat comes from rocks. And we just go on and on and on. And your mind, you are so frustrated. How could somebody be so stubborn? 
when the evidence is right in front of them. But in reality, if that took place, the stakes would not be all that high. Sure, heat comes from the sun. If I don't believe it, it's fine. It's not going to hurt anything. But for the Pharisees, who had the evidence right in front of them, the stakes were life and death. What about you and me? What can we say about the Holy Spirit that is unforgivable? If I read in the Bible that there is a sin that can be committed, that cannot be forgiven, my ears are going to tune in. And the thing we've got to understand of what Jesus was getting at here is this. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not about a word or a phrase. It is the condition of the heart. In other words, in other words, if you're worried that you at some point in time in your life blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then you haven't. Because if you had, you wouldn't be worrying about it. So what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You know what? Last week, We took a look at a passage of scripture, Romans chapter 7, the end of it actually. And we worked our way through the battle that rages within us as human beings. um, Most specifically, followers of Jesus Christ. How in this world there's that battle rage where where I want to put myself on, on the throne of my life. And I have been called to take up my cross that means that means that means kill that throne robber myself figuratively i'm not talking about dying okay i'm talking about spiritual death and putting jesus on that throne and the battle that takes place all the time because i want to take him back off that throne because i want to be on it for a while he can have it later but i want right now and this battle that goes on and what we looked at in the words of the apostle paul was this raging battle that takes place within. And the conclusion we made was this. In that battle, Paul never once mentions the Holy Spirit. And then you jump into chapter 8, and all he talks about is the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 of Romans. And the conclusion we came to is this. When the battle rages within us, and when we falter, it's because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. When it comes to followers of Jesus. Okay, understand something, folks. Understand something. The very first gospel sermon ever preached was preached by Peter and the rest, the other ten apostles at the time, okay? Actually, there were eleven of them. Matthias had already taken his place. Judas is long gone. right? And they are preaching. Now, now Acts focuses on Peter, but they're all preaching. And the crowd was, was convicted. In other words, they, they listened, they heard, they were cut to the heart at the words that Peter and the rest of the apostles were preaching. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't forget the second part. That you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So what that means is every follower of Jesus Christ has been given the Holy Spirit who resides within. When it comes to followers of Jesus, the results of ignoring the Holy Spirit, of not listening to the Holy Spirit, they aren't surprising. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7, the last verses 14 through 24. And the results are this. Failure and frustration with myself. I can tell you one thing from personal experience, folks. Failure and frustration, it's not a great place to be. But it's not the worst to be. What if I continue? What happens if I continue to ignore the prompting, the calling, and the working of the Holy Spirit in my life? This isn't something that happens overnight, folks. What if I continue to ignore the Spirit in my life day after day, week after week? You know how it works. Weeks, days turn to weeks, weeks turn to months, months turn to years. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I'll warn you right here and now, it's not the most encouraging passage of scripture to end a sermon with, but it's powerful. The writer of Hebrews places a warning for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. And this is what it says. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for the sake it is also tilled, it receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And in the end, it ends up being burned. The end result of ignoring the Holy Spirit over time. If we decide we are done with the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Spirit will not remain where He's not wanted. And folks, that's what of the Holy Spirit. If you worry about it, you have no reason to be afraid. 
because a person whose heart has become hard will never work. But folks, we have to understand that this is a path that happens over time. And folks, we have to hear and respond when the Holy Spirit speaks in our lives. Why don't you stand with us? I'm going to have you sit back down here in a little bit, but I think it would be good for us to stand for just a moment. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Gentleness. Why do I always forget gentleness? Thank you very much. You're very good. Okay. Whoever did that, I just heard it. Heard it. Okay. Gentleness. It's Mother's Day. Folks, how many of us want more of that in our lives? Okay. It really truly is. It's not the fruit of determination. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's it's, it's, it's our prayer for each other. We are in this together. That we continue to listen to the bidding and the prompting, the calling, the working, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because it's been put there as God's gift to us as we're making our way home. So let's listen to it.